Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. Welcome to So Many White Guys. Uh, so many white guys, how many? So many, too many, not really. Okay, that's cool. Oh my God, Earth, Wind, and Fire is in the building. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to So Many White Guys from WNYC. Studios. I'm your hostess with the freaking mostest, Phoebe Robinson. And you know what? Guess who I'm joined with today, guys? I'm waiting. It's Joanna Solitaroff, my little sweet Midwestern angel. Hi. How you doing, Joni Midge? I'm doing just great. Okay, so we need to catch up. Yeah. Black History Month is donezo. Yes. Which I am sad about. So, you know what? I had to do something to sort of, like, mourn the passing of Black History Month. Guess what I did? I'm scared that all of my guesses are going to be, like, problematic. Well, just just toss one out. <laughs> I'm going to toss one out. Let me think. Um... <laughs> no pressure, but all the pressure. <laughs> did you mm-hmm. DM... Michael B. Jordan. I thought about it, but I'm like, what am I going to say? I'm in a relationship. You know, if I'm going to start a DM, you only do that when you're single and you're like trying to smash like for real, you know? Yeah. So I didn't do that. Take another guess. Did you binge watch Living Single, which is now available on streaming? Ooh, that is on my list of things to do after I finish my book. Okay, I'll just tell you because you are really having some good guesses. So you're so close. Thank you so much. Thanks. I... Rewatched Black Panther. Whoa! I haven't seen it yet. It's it's number one on my list. Oh my god, Joni Mitch. Um, there was a situation the other day though where you, me, and a group of white people yes. were like, <laughs> we should all make a plan and go see a movie, and then someone suggested Black Panther, and you said um, I'm going to want to see that with black people. <laughs> and everybody was like, right, 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 right. <laughs> I did say that. It was amazing. I was like, yes. Now that I've seen it a, a couple of times, I can see it with you, but it is, <laughs> Joanna, it is so good. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait. It sounds amazing. So, you know who's it is? Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. Lupita Nyong'o, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker. Like, it's just black excellence to the max. Okay, and so Michael B. Jordan's like a villain, okay? I heard he's like the best villain ever. Okay, first of all, he has this really cool, like, hairstyle. It's like a dreadlock bang. Damn! Yeah. That's a new look. So he's rocking that. And then, like, I don't want to, like, objectify, but in the film, he and Chadwick, they both take off their shirts to fight, which I'm like, all fights should be like this. This is like that episode of Seinfeld where they're obsessed with watching two women cat fight. Also, how white am I that you're talking about? 
Black Panther, and I'm like, that reminds me of a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> boom, 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 I think you will love it. Can't wait. And I kind of want to watch it with you so I can just watch you absorbing, like, all of Africa. Oh, my God. Let's watch it. Okay. Let's do it. Sign me up. Movie night. Aw, cute. And guys, you know what else is delightful? What? (laughs) This interview you're about to hear. So, you know what? Let's go to a little mid-roll break, Joni Mitch. How does that sound? Oh, my God. What a throw. Thanks. Hey, booze and bays. Welcome back. I hope you like that sexy-ass commercial. I mean, we got to pay the bills, okay? Y'all, when I say bust out your number two pencils and blue book exams, I truly mean it because this is a Smarty Pants episode. I mean, okay, fine, sure. I'll probably mention Peen at some point because of hashtag staying on brand, but we're actually going to get into some real shit today thanks to my oh-so-special guest, okay? He's a podcast host, a lifelong activist and educator. In 2015, Forbes put him on the greatest world leaders list. And if that isn't enough, Beyonce, Giselle, Knowles, Cartier, just kidding, Carter, follows him on Twitter. I mean, come on. He is so intelligent and incredible that I am truly hoping I don't screw this up and make Harriet Tubman and Dorothy Dandridge turn over in their respective graves, okay? So please wish me luck and welcome to the studio, DeRay McKesson, host of Pod Save the People and renowned Black Lives Matter activist. Let's do it! Phoebe, you have. You probably thought I was going to be all serious. You're such a wonderful energy. I like it. Oh, thank you, darling. You know what? I, can you do this entire interview in a British accent? No, because the Brits would be like, "Deray is mocking our culture," and I thought he was an <laughs> activist, and he just makes fun of our accent. That's what I get. So no. <laughs> you're great. I love it. I'm here. I'm happy you're on so many white guys. This is huge for us. Like we love, like it's great having like, you know, entertainers and actors on, but it's also good to have some substance added to the show as Let's well. Like do this it. extra layer. Um, and I see that you're wearing your signature blue vest, which it, is amazing. It has a Twitter account. It does. I don't you know, the Twitter account DM me today. Oh, they did? About a um <laughs> You know, I don't run the Twitter account. People, people be like, I thought you were paying attention to that meeting. And, the, and it's like, uh, y'all, it wasn't me. <laughs> the Twitter account is great. Do you follow it? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm wearing the vest for um for a while. And it, you know, started wearing it when, you know, we were in the street for 400 days. And I needed something that I could wear that, that wasn't too heavy and I would never yeah. have to pack. And mm-hmm. and this was it. So I wear it. I wear it all the time, though. Like, I was in St. Louis recently. And I had to go to the supermarket, like, in the middle of the night, like, a Rite Aid, not really the supermarket. And uh, it's, like, midnight, and I'm, like, walking down the street, the best one, and somebody drives by, and later I get this tweet that's, like, I just drove by Dre, and he's wearing the best in the middle of the night. And it's, like, it's not a gimmick. It's, like, you know, an old friend at this point. Like, I'm used to it. Yeah, And yeah. it's simple. You know, it's, like, yeah. I'm not spending a whole lot of time thinking about what I'm going to wear because it's, like, I'm wearing this anyway. Yeah. 
So let's like kind of like back up a little bit. So you grew up in Baltimore. From Baltimore, born and raised. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both my parents were addicted to drugs. My father raised us. My Mm -hmm. mother left when I was three. Mm -hmm. Uh, So me, my sister, my father, it's been us for a long time. Mm -hmm. My great-grandmother lived with us until about sixth grade, and then she moved out. My sister's name is Tere. We are not twins. We're just black. And uh, (laughs) she's a year and a half older. We both grew up and became middle school math teachers completely random. Why? But why do you think that is? Because there must have been, was there something in your childhood that like made you guys both be into math? Or I think like, what, what was no, it? No, no, no. I was, I was not a good math student, which made me a very good math teacher. Tere yeah. uh, <laughs> had a teacher that had a huge impact on her life in mm-hmm. middle school. And I think that like changed her, like changed everything for us. She's like, I want to be a teacher. I want to teach special ed. This is what yeah. I want to do. So she went to college for teaching. She taught. And then at the end of uh, college for me, I was trying to think, you know, I'd done all, I was in student government since I was in sixth grade and I was on these boards and commissions and I'd done that, right? But like I hadn't really done a sort of programmatic work before. Mm -hmm. So I said, I want to teach, you know, and I do teach for America. It was an incredible experience. It was great that, you know, she taught before me. So when I was struggling on like dividing decimals, which is an awful skill to teach, yeah. <laughs> uh, I could just call Teray and be like, hey, Teray, how did you do this? Yeah. She was great. And so I think a lot of times when like people teach in underserved communities, like, and they tell people that folks have like this sort of like, is it like dangerous minds? You wear like a leather jacket and having these like intense moments that like kind of cheesy in a movie. But what was it really actually like being in an environment like that where you're seeing that kids are not getting the kind of attention that you think, you know, they deserve? Yeah, you know, Teaching is by far the best thing I've ever done. And I taught mm-hmm. in I taught in New York. I moved back to Baltimore, opened up an after school center. In all of those experiences, uh, I saw these incredible kids who were hungry, right? Mm-hmm. They were hungry for knowledge and experiences and and opportunities. And I'm thankful that I got to be a part of that with them with math, you know? Yeah. So what I think the best teachers do, I've seen a, a lot of classrooms so far, is that they help uh, pull out the gifts that kids have. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we think about even activism, it's like what it means to empower people. It's like I can't give you power, right? But what yeah. I can do is like help you find the power that you have. But in classrooms, like that's what teachers do is that they help you find that like yeah. you you know how to, you you can divide. You have the basic skills to divide. I'm going to help you like learn and put together these skills. But yeah. like you can do this, right? And like I got to do that and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Okay. So we did like a little bit of research and we got this cute picture of you. Uh-oh. Very cute picture of you as a little youngin. What? glasses. What was going on? That's cute. Are you kidding me? My brother used to like dress up. That's my brother and I. He used to dress up all the time too. So you guys are like little twins. I love it. But like looking at this picture of yourself and how old were you in this picture? Mm, Had to be like fifth grade. Yeah. So what would you, like looking at it now, what would you tell your younger self that you didn't know at that time? That imagining and dreaming is its own power. I think that I, as a kid, dreamt and imagined, like, snuck it in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, love the X-Men, and I love these things, and I and I was sort of, like, hiding in my love for them. Mm-hmm. And I think now I would, like, tell myself, like, you should read more fantasy books and read more young adult, and, like, mm-hmm. you should write about it, and you should talk to people about it. Whereas, you know, my I think about my world in Baltimore was, like, relatively small, mm-hmm. you know? It was a small world. It's like I saw my family... We went outside to play with my cousins, but we weren't talking about sort of X-Men or anything like yeah. that. You know, it's funny you pull this picture up. Our house burned down when I was in fourth grade, so there are no photos. That that sort of is like 
have one younger photo that survived, and then it's that. So there's no. That's it. There's like a big gap. Oh my when god. We were kids. What was the so cause she, of the fire? Do you? The babysitter didn't know what she was doing. Uh, so the baby, it was a French fries fire on the stove. No. And instead of you know like covering it, she poured water on it. House burned down. Wow. But a consequence of that was that like all of the early photos that we had, mm. like toys, clothes, all of it burned up. Yeah. So, so the photo you showed is literally like. I have, like, a younger photo. Yeah. And then there's that. Have you talked to the babysitter recently? Have you been, like... No, I don't even know if my... I mean, my father clearly knows who she is because, you know, he was an adult. But the worst (laughs) thing about it is that, like, she saved... Guess the two things she brought out the house. I think they were probably related to her. It was the pillow off the couch and the cordless phone. We don't need neither one of those things. Like, you could have just, you could have left them in the house. We not Nothing about the cordless phone... It's helpful. You could get those anywhere. Yeah, you didn't save no books. You didn't save birth certificate. Like, yeah. You know, we like we literally the next year like lived in um, my grandma's house in the living room. Yeah. Like the living room had like a couch bed, and mm-hmm. we like all slept in the couch bed. It's crazy how you know you look back and the things that are just like normal to you as kids. Like yeah. now I look at grandma's house and it's not big enough for right me, my father, my sister, and my great grandmother, and my grandma. You know, like and yeah. everybody else who was there. But we went to like. Fifth grade, um, you know, like we did that whole year at grandma's house. Yeah. I think it's like because I grew up in Cleveland and, you know, we didn't have a lot of my growing up, my my parents and my older brother and I. And just like. You're the youngest. Yeah, I'm the youngest. And you just kind of like, you don't really feel like, oh, I'm lacking for anything because I have like love and I have food. And I like you don't think like, oh, I don't have all these toys and all this other yeah. stuff. And then you like sort of like get older and then like. The materialism can like sort of switch your brain where you feel like you're lacking, and I, I don't or just know. the opportunity. Like yeah. you think about like, did you go to school? Yeah, I did. Where'd did you go? Yeah, I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. So you think about like one of the I went to Bowdoin, Maine, and mm-hmm. like one of the things, and about that's a that was a private school, right? Labrat school. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The immense amount of sort of access and opportunity mm-hmm. some kids had in high school. I'm like, what? Your high school class was ten people. Like yeah. you wrote a 25 page paper as a eighth grader like I didn't even know those things existed you know yeah you know like I think about because I went to private prep school yeah yeah. and then before then I went to public so you know what the access is like night and day it's crazy and like you know people are getting brand new cars for like their 16th birthday and I'm like I'm never gonna get am I getting a car yeah exactly and so I'm just wondering like I know for me not that I had to like overcome a, a sense of like I don't measure up, but it, it was just more like you're kind of constantly trying to figure out what is truly important in life. Did you ever have that or were you always kind of like, am I like not doing the right thing? Am I not measuring up? Am I not like paying attention to the right things? Or I always knew that I wanted to have an impact, right? Mm-hmm. That Like I wanted to make sure that the work that I did I spoke to a, a cause and a purpose bigger than me. So I yeah. think about even when I became a teacher, I mean, I was like super broke. Mm-hmm. Family didn't really have money to sort of help me out. I slept on, I lived in New York City. I lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, the bottom of Brooklyn. Yeah. And uh, that when, when I first moved, I didn't have enough money to afford a mattress or an air mattress. I slept on the floor with my like Ninja Turtle sheets that I had as a kid mm-hmm. in a pillow for two weeks on that hardwood floor before mm-hmm. I got my first check, right? Wow. And... And I was like, you know what? This is what you got. Like, this is what I had to do for mm-hmm. the work. Like, I, there was nobody I could call to loan me money. Yeah. I didn't really, like, you know, it was hard. And I definitely had been, ta- like, 
taught, not necessarily by my family, but by sort of culture, that success was about sort of power and money, right? Mm-hmm. That those were like the identifiers of success. And when I was pretty young, I mean, I'm 32 now. When I was like 25-ish, I probably made 102 mm-hmm. at the school system and had a lot of relative power and access. And I saw that like making over 100,000 didn't like make my, you know, it, it wasn't yeah. the thing that like fundamentally changed my happiness, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was really powerful for me to like rethink about what I've been taught about success. So like I was able to, you know, I think about by the time the protest came, I made 110, I was able to quit. And like I'd saved money, but yeah. like I really couldn't afford, you know, like it was a lot of faith. Yeah. But it was like, this is the right thing to do. All the other stuff, I'll figure it out, right? But I'm yeah. not going to be trapped this job because I have good health insurance and like money. And, you know, four years before that, I might have just stayed because I'm like, yeah. I can't leave my job. And like that was actually really important for me. Yeah. So I feel like whenever, you know, I'm talking to someone like you or someone like who really just kind of like changes their life in a way, like, what was it about for because you're obviously you're a person that's been like heavily involved in your community you're constantly you know wanting to make change so what about ferguson like hit you so hard or impacted you so hard that you got in your car and you were like i'm going to live tweet this like what was the thing about it that make that touched you you know here's the thing is that when i when i first mike got killed in the ninth mm-hmm. And then I was sitting on my couch, like, on August 16th. It was, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I saw what was happening on CNN. Mm -hmm. I saw what was happening on Twitter. And I was like, this, I don't know. Something looks off, right? CNN is saying the crazy protesters. Twitter is, like, the crazy police. And at this moment of, like, the least I can do is go see, right? I can just get in the car, drive nine hours, uh, end up in the street. Don't know anybody, really. And the second were you scared or what, what were you feeling when you you decided to do this? Were you like kind of like, I don't know what's going to happen? Like, what were you? By then I was a senior director of human capital in Minneapolis Public Schools. And I had this moment of like what it meant to live your commitments. That was like my whole thing mm. that year is that like we make commitments and like I want mine to be living. I want to have living commitments. So like if I'm committed to kids, then I'm committed to kids like in the lunchroom. Like my commitment to kids needs to live everywhere. Right. Yeah. And when Mike got killed, it was sort of this thing about, like, is my commitment to kids living, right? That, like, they killed a kid. He's a kid. Yeah. And that, like, if I'm living in my commitment the the way I think I am, Mm -hmm. then the least I can do is go see what happened, right? But then, like, you know, that was it. I, like, started tweeting. Met a lot of people on Twitter. The second night I was in St. Louis was the first night of the curfew, if you remember the curfew. It was also the first night I got tear gassed. Mm -hmm. And that changed everything for me. It was this moment of, like... This can't be it, right? That, like, Mm -hmm. the world shouldn't be like this. And, like, there were so many people who put everything they had on the line to do what was right and to fight back and to stand up. And, like, Mm -hmm. I'm thankful that I was in a community of people who really were willing. Like, I remember I got dragged out by my ankles out of the police department. So, like, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things that, in hindsight, I'm like, we were really, you know, (laughs) we were really out there. And so when you were thinking about, like, Black Lives Matter and just, like, even like Time's Up, all these different movements that are happening right now. It's kind of like, you know, when I was younger as a kid, like what I thought America was is drastically different than how I feel now. Not that I'm more jaded, but it's like I'm seeing the complexity. So I'm wondering, like, before you went to Ferguson, how did you feel about America? And then after that, did everything change for you in terms of like how you relate to other people and like did it make you sort of question like what is really going on in this country like what are what are people in power actually doing 
Yeah, I think that I always understood systemic inequity about education, mm-hmm. and I understood systemic inequity around kids. It wasn't until Mike got killed that I understood the criminal justice space well. Mm-hmm. I think I would have been able to say, like, too many people are going to prison and, like, it's wrong, but I don't think I had the language or understood it well. Yeah. I had no frame to understand that before. Yeah. And then there were the protests, right? And it was the first time that I saw people who look like me in my mm-hmm. age in real time, like, push back against a system and, like, with no playbook. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what we were doing, right? We just knew we were right. Yeah. Everything, I think, changed for me after that. I saw the incredible power of people coming together, mm-hmm. that there was no leader, that there was no one person or two people who told people to get in the street, that, like, yeah. it was sort of a collective space. And, and all of us had an impact. And it was this ecosystem of people that, like— made it work in this infrastructure that actually didn't require us to have a nightly call mm-hmm. or like to be in the basement of whatever every night, but like we still had an incredible impact. And I think that I wouldn't have believed that was possible unless I'd seen it with my own eyes. Yeah. And so we look at a movement like this that doesn't have a quote unquote leader. Like there might be some criticism People like try to compare movements and say like, well, there's a leader for a civil rights movement and like there's like no like one designated leader for Black Lives Matter. And I'm wondering like How do you reconcile people that you feel maybe are mischaracterizing the Black Lives Matter movement? It's not that there are no leaders, right? right? What we say is that there's so many leaders, right? And that is what's powerful, that, like, people are leading at the local level, Mm -hmm. people are leading at the state level, people are leading at the national level, and that the movement actually creates space for them. I think about being in the street in St. Louis was so powerful because— like, say nobody even knew who you were, and Mm -hmm. you just turn out to be a dope chant leader Mm -hmm. that, like— if you were dope, people fo- people followed, right? Yeah. And, like, there was actually space for you to, like, enter, whereas, like, you know, if we had to fill out applications, and did, like, so many people wouldn't have, they would have had no space to do good work, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you you were in student government, and you've, it seemed like you're just, like, going back through, like, your history, like, you were always kind of a leader. So I'm sure there's a part of you that was always kind of, like, destined for something like Black Lives Matter. But what do you think about the movement what about it has surprised you the most about yourself or like what do you think you've learned about yourself that you weren't necessarily expecting to learn when you got into it? You know, teaching was really hard and I I think I've never failed as much as a teacher. And one of the lessons from the classroom, because like no matter how great you were that day, like there was one kid who didn't get it and you're like, God, I like thought Mm -hmm. I did it. It's like crashing and burning or like that kid flipped out or like I flipped out. It's like I didn't, I need to find, I need to recalibrate and find the gift. I think that the lesson for me from the movement is, like, do the work. Mm-hmm. But I get so frustrated by the people who are, like, rhetorical revolution. Like, mm-hmm. that the rhetoric is beautiful and it, like, sounds good. And you're like, what does this mean? Like, I don't live in the rhetoric, right? I live in real life. Yeah. And I get frustrated by the people who, like, I'm on these panels and they give a great speech. Don't know anything about a system. Don't know anything <laughs> about a structure. Can't talk to you yeah. about how the revolution is going to happen. But can give you, like, a beautifully worded, like speech about the importance of the intersection and like but can't talk about what that means in practice and like i think i'm i think three years in i'm sort of over that right that that, i think that year one people needed to process i think your two people were trying to process it deeper your three people want to know what's the plan and what we're doing right? right and like if you can't help people get there like i don't know i don't know what you're doing yeah You know, when you do have kind of a movement like this where there are so many people kind of like spearheading and leading, like, 
are you coming at it from like we should we should have like a unified vision that we're trying to get out there? Like how I think you how do you go it about organizing it? I think that like mm-hmm. people find uh, the work that they want to do, mm-hmm. and I think about just like the protests that like people like Tef. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tef was a really good chant leader, mm-hmm. and Tef wasn't like anointed by somebody. Tef was just good at it. And he Who's, be- uh, can you explain for the people that are listening? Who Tef Poe is an yeah. activist from St. Louis, Great. and like he had a mic, and like you know, people followed him. Mm-hmm. I followed him, right? Mama Cat is another activist in St. Louis who like an incredible cook. So on those cold, dreary nights when people needed to like come together, she made food. And like, yeah. that was her way of being in the work in the in a way that was particularly suited for her mm-hmm. that was as important as everybody else's. Some nights, she made the only hot meal that people got and like that was important, yeah. right? And necessary. So I want us to build a space where people get to do their best work the way that they can do their best work that is also focused on how do we change systems and structures, right? And so... One of the things for me about Black Lives Matter that I, I really love is is that I feel like, of course, there were like the people who were like resisting the ignorant people and the bigots and all that. But there were there's a subsection of people that I feel kind of saw black people truly for the first time, which I, I think is like. Ex- In all of our complexity, right? Yes, and that, and I think that's what's it's great. Where it's it's across the board from the way that we do activism to like different television programs, to like the different music, to like different sexualities and orientations. We've never talked about the trans community in public like this, exactly. Ever, you know, and you know, one of the things I know, like within the black community, there is still a lot of homophobia, which there is to me. I feel like if there is not going to be overall acceptance, I, to me, I don't want to say like the Black Lives Matter is not. I don't want to say like a failure, like not like as impactful, but I feel like if we're not like really representing all like what it means for all black people, no matter what their personal lives are like, do you feel like that is will be kind of like a a, a bad mark or like a a letdown if like it doesn't truly if black lives matter doesn't truly expand beyond the straight cis black experience? Yeah, you think about it, the civil rights movement was a decade long worth of activism. We're mm-hmm. we're three years in, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that this time, I think that I think that the public conversation has changed and I think that people are more accepting and open than they have been before, though mm-hmm. we are also seeing the hate be more public than it has been before, right? Mm-hmm. And, and spread quicker. Have you had to deal with that person? Like I know you talked about like just homophobia and yeah, all those kind of comments. You know, it's hard because I think there yeah. there are like homophobic people who like me, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not helpful. Like you shouldn't be homophobic. Like yeah. I don't want to be your exception. Because you're like, Ray was in the street, so right. I hate gay people, but I like him. Like, that's not helpful. Yeah. I think that um, it is it is frankly one of the harder issues. I feel pretty confident that we can, like, in mass incarceration, we can close the racial wealth gap. We just need mm-hmm. to put together a plan and a portal and, like, we'll do it. The homophobia oh, stuff, like— just done like that? Okay. No, I, just, I do think that, like, we just need to, that we can do it. I can, yeah. like, see it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The homophobia stuff, I'm just like, I don't even know how you still—like, I don't even— like, it's so irrational mm-hmm. that I, like, don't—I'm like, what are we doing? I don't get it. Yeah. Um, so, so so I struggle a little bit there. Yeah. When it came out in the New York Times uh, magazine that I was gay, people called me a faggot from, like, 7 a.m. to midnight. And, like, that was hard. That was <sighs> in 2014. Yeah. And it was just, like, I thought we'd, like, been better than that, right? Mm-hmm. And, like— it was all these people who like didn't put anything on the line. You weren't there, you know, like, and not that you needed to be in that moment, but like, don't criticize those of us who did. We all risked a lot, you know, like we had no, we knew we were right. We did not know we'd come out on this side of it, right? Yeah. And how do you think like social media activism, 
Because I, I, you know, I do think a lot of times people think, well, if I use a hashtag or I post something on Instagram, I did my job. So how do you try and encourage them to come out? Yeah, I, I think that um, I'm mindful that we are born woke, but something wakes us up, right? Oh, I like for that. so many people. Is that an original? It is an original. Oh! <laughs> I think that for so many people, what woke them up was a tweet, mm-hmm. a Facebook post, mm-hmm. an Instagram post. Like, that is what helped them see the world differently. So I'll never complain about people telling the truth, right? Yeah. That if, if your way to tell the truth is online, then, like, dope, right? Mm-hmm. If your way to tell the truth is at a community meeting in person, then, like, incredible. So I'll never complain about people telling the truth. And you think about even, like, the disability community is that they now have a way to be in in the space and be really in it. Like, there wasn't an opportunity for that before, and there is now, right? So the question for me as an organizer is, like, how do we ramp that up? How do we harness technology to actually make it an amplifier for people's work? Ugh, I love you. I do. Love you first. Okay, so, you know, it's been a few years since you really kind of broke out nationwide as this activist that people Broke really well, but true like honestly like for a lot of people like your work in Ferguson was like where they first started to recognize you and saw all the great work that you're doing and I know you ran for mayor of Baltimore but it's funny you know yeah. when I ran for mayor uh, mm-hmm. people were like he's a sellout why would he be part of the system yeah. it was like this whole thing now everybody's running and I'm right. thankful they should run yeah. but it is funny how that has changed in like such a short period of time yeah and and people can kind of like feel one way, then, like, time changes the way that people feel. Um, but I, I'm curious, do you feel like you can make more change inside, you know, government positions, or do you think, like, outside, like, what you're doing and just, like, being on the ground, what other people are doing, like, in the day-to-day and not have not having to be beholden to, like, you know, different, like, job restri- restrictions that come with p- certain political positions? You know, I think that, we have to be as organized on the inside as we are on the outside. Mm-hmm. The outside-only strategy is not a strategy to win. That some of this is about pushing people in power. Some of this is about being the people in power. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when Phoebe is mayor, we don't have to convince Phoebe that, like, <sighs> women are an important group of people to focus on. Yeah. You already believe it, right? Yeah. And we spend so much time trying to convince people of basic stuff that, like, that's not a win. I was most recently the chief of human capital for the school system in Baltimore. I did that for a year. Mm-hmm. And it was important to be in that seat. And, like, I had a lot of influence in the school system about who we hired, how we hired them. And you didn't have to convince me that equity was important. I already believed, right? I already knew the importance of black teachers. I already thought about how to place them in ways that make sense. And, like, people didn't have to lobby the office for that. I already got it, you know? And the same thing with our superintendent in Baltimore. You know, I think about our meetings with Bernie and and Hillary, and people gave us a lot of stuff for, like, why are you sitting at the table? And And how did you feel about that? Because I think sometimes people don't realize, yeah, we do have to have conversations with these people. You can't just, like, sort of revolutionize in a vacuum. So how did you feel about that? You know, I'm mindful that Mm -hmm. we want to make sure the truth is present Mm -hmm. in every room, which is why we go into the rooms, right? Yeah. In hindsight, I think that people are like, no, we're right, you know? In the moment, people were like in there, they were having a moment about it. But you think about Hillary. The first meeting we had with Hillary was like a little dicey. She just was not very good on the issues. Second meeting, <laughs> Hillary was on it. You know, like Hillary yeah. said stuff about the police that I wish she would say in public. I mean, she was just so good. Yeah. And you're like, this is the Hillary people should see. But like, it, it took you being challenged by a group of people yeah. in a closed setting for you to, like, be pushed, you know, like, and that was important. I feel like, 
you hear that a lot with politicians when they're behind closed doors, they say things that you're like, you should say this publicly. So if a lot of people are feeling things that they aren't, they're too afraid to say, it's kind of like, well, are we ever going to change things? So, you know, I think that there are a lot of, I think the money's a big deal, that like a lot of political leaders don't want to lose money. So mm-hmm. off the record, they're like, we know that bill is bad, but if I vote against this, it'll blah, blah, blah. A lot of people don't want to lose re-election. And like, that is a real challenge. So trying to figure out how do we get people language? How do we get people cover? How do we help people think about these issues in a more nuanced way? And I think about the work that we do now. So the podcast is about how do we get people language? Mm-hmm. And like the most heartening feedback I ever get is like, I learned from it. They're like, I learned from that interview or I like didn't think about this or I got new language to talk about. And that I think has to be a part of the work too. Right. Yeah. So I think that I'm interested in like, how do we, frame the conversation about how do we help people find the way they fit in, right? And that is both inside and outside. Okay. And so you are outside. Today. Yeah, you today you are outside. You are an activist and also a celebrity, which I think can sometimes be a distraction. But I think you've really kind of, like, done it so well. And I'm wondering, like, you know, from fun things like having Beyonce follow you on Twitter to, like, you know, whatever other sort of, like, perks you get along with, um the, the price that comes with fame, like how do you do that, maintain that? Yeah, you know, when I'm with people who are celebrities, mm-hmm. we are always talking about the work, you know? Mm-hmm. So every time I see B, we're like, I love that. I'm you, like, um, okay, I'm did like, you guys hey, hear that? Every time he sees no, B. Every time I see B, I'm like, you know, where do you see her? Stop it. <laughs> we're, like when I first met her, we were talking yeah. about the protests in Baltimore. Like it's always been about. The work I'm not like, hey B, can we go to breakfast? Like that's right. just not like I'm she wants to do good and I'm interested in like how we can partner and do good. Yeah. Colin, I love Colin. Colin and his girlfriend Nessa, I consider them friends. And like every time we talk Colin Kaepernick, just so, so everyone knows. Every time yeah, yeah, we yeah. talk, we're trying to figure out like how so I think that people do have this idea that like I'm just I'm like couch hopping and like yeah. go to birthday parties. Uh and when I think about some of the things that we are do really quietly is like, how do we connect all the good people, right? Like, how do we make sure that like all the people who want to do good, mm-hmm. like are in one orbit? Okay. So it is 2018. And yeah, um, <laughs> no, but it's 2018. I think she's a psychic. It's 2018. <laughs> no, because it's like, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, take the temperature of like, and see like where we are right now. And I, I want to ask you like, uh, what do you hope for the future with this country and with Black Lives Matter? Like, what do you hope changes or what do you hope stays the same? And also, what's next for you? Because uh, you're not an activist 24-7. So, like, what's next for you outside of activism? And what is one thing that you wish people knew about you? Because everyone has all these opinions. Whenever you're a public figure, people form an opinion based off an article they half read. I'm really not as bad as people want me to be. That's like mm-hmm. my people. I like meet people and they're just like, they are ready for battle. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, that is, just, you're like, that's exhausting. And it's not true. Yeah. So that, but you know, what's next? I'm interested in like, are there other ways that we can tell stories? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Like, you know, the podcast is one beautiful platform. Twitter's a beautiful platform. Like, can we can we tell it in, in other ways? I want to do that in 2018. I want to write more in 2018. Um, a book? A book. Yes. I want to um, fall in love in 2018. <gasps> you know? I want that I'm, like, for you, too. To, I'm trying to like, I want to be open to finding like. I so wanna, you're single is what we're... I'm single. You're, you guys... You're so funny. What are you looking for? 
Smart, woke. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to talk about this, but I do. Smart, woke, <laughs> smart and woke. Okay. Physical type, what do you like? Beautiful helps. <laughs> <laughs> Just across the board, hot. Details, yeah. Details. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Dora, you've been... You've been an absolute pleasure. It's great to and a delight. meet you. And it's great to meet you. And I, I really do appreciate all the work that you do. You talk to talk and you walk the walk. Thank you. And you leave with compassion and understanding. And, and we're more than our pain, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, we can show up and be confrontational and we should challenge. And I can care about watching Stranger Things. And mm-hmm. I can like... Beyonce's music and you know like, all of those things can be real at the same time and like yeah. that has to be a part of what freedom looks like so you're you're woke but you're also like low-key trash like low-key I love the Kardashians which is trash TV that's my trash thing what's your trash thing uh, do you have a I don't have a trash thing <laughs> cheaters <laughs> brother loves cheaters that is so funny oh my god on youtube when i can't sleep yeah <laughs> i either watch cheaters or i watch um beyonce acapella just because i think it's great yeah cool well you know what i like that you are a fully dimensional person who's doing some good stuff in this world oh. thank you so much for coming i hope great you have to fun be here. yes okay bye <laughs> Damn, that was the best interview. I felt like we really connected. I just wanted to keep talking to DeRay. I mean, the Kim Kim was there. He had his vest on. <laughs> I love that you said Kim Kim. <laughs> <laughs> You're rubbing off on me, Phoebs. Yes. Yes. Joni, I'm glad you felt the chemistry, and I hope that everyone at home or in their car or at the gym felt the chemistry too. But guess what? The interview is donezo, but as you know by now, Alana and I like to close out every episode with our favorite segment, also yours. Do you want to intro it, Joni? Oh, my gosh. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Yes, I'm holding on to my girdle. (laughs) It's time for Small Acts of Resistance. Resist the system. Resist the man. Resist the dominant discourse imposed upon us by the establishment. All right, so y'all, this week, Alana and I are small act of resistance. We're eating carbs. That's it. Yep. Just inhaling carbs without feeling guilty about it. (laughs) Yeah, and not being like, oh, we're going to do whole wheat because that's better. You know what? If I want to have a white, starchy-ass carb. Some bleached-ass bread. Doing it. I don't need to eat spelt bread all the fucking time. No, Ezekiel bread. Yeah. This is 1950s, bitch. I want some (laughs) white-ass, sweet, sugary wonder bread. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Toast. Toast is resistance, baby. Useless, no nutritional value. Just enjoyment. You know, just like really just enjoy your life this week. If you want to have some carbs, unless you, you know, you're celiac. Right. Right. Obviously then. Gluten sensitive. Yeah, we respect that. But whatever it is, just like enjoy your damn food this week. Yeah. You look good. Yeah. You look really good. Yep. The So Many White Guys team includes me, Phoebe Robinson, Rachel Neal, Joanna Solitaroff, Jim Poyant, Paula Schumann, Jeremy Bloom, Isaac Jones, Matt Boynton, and Joe Ford. Our theme song was written by a white dude 
and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. Check out photos of me and DeRay McKesson from my interview on the WYC Studios Facebook page. You can also follow me on Facebook, but honestly, I'm never on it. So really, truly follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DopeQueenBeeps. Can you believe I said Twitter instead of Twitter? Oh, I can't either. Bye, you, bye. <laughs>